Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Wayne Levine. I'm really excited about this. We're going to talk all about men, men's issues, and the people around them, supporting them, family members, partners, wives, etc. So Wayne is the director of Better Men Coaching. You can go to bettermencoaching.com. And he's been mentoring men for over 25 years. He coaches men individually and in groups via Skype right now because he's traveling to be the best men, fathers, husbands, and leaders that they can be. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Hold On To Your Nuts, hilarious, The Relationship Manual for Men, From Navigating Divorce to Finding an Authentic Spiritual Path. His personal experiences and breakthroughs guide him intuitively to help men find their truth and a greater sense of freedom as they journey through life, career, relationships, and spiritual awakening. I am so excited for this conversation. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm happy to be here. That sounds like a great guy. Is that, is that my intro? You, you sound awesome. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That sounded great. I, I hope to live up to it. Yeah. Let's go. I, 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 you know, I'll start off and say this. You know, we're, we're going to get into some deeper issues, but let's start with, you know, a, a, as a straight woman, I love men so much. I've been having crushes on you people as far as I can remember, you know, and I've noticed though through my life interacting with men as friends, brothers, is that women, we seem to more often than men have these vulnerable, open friendships, uh, even with strangers. You know, we can have a TMI sexual conversation with someone in a spa locker room. You know, it's, it feels like my primal essence, even as an alpha female, to be inherently kind of open with my body and emotions with other women and sometimes with men. But what I have seen is men-to-men relationships. I, I feel like it's getting better. But throughout my life, I, if anything, male friends would voice to me, the inability to tell their other male friends things. And I would say, well, why don't you just tell your friend how you feel? And they would sort of be like, eh, and deflect. And so I guess my first question to you would be, where did you guys start out? What happened along the way? And and why do men need to bond with each other? And as you say, be fathered by and with other men? I think underneath it all um, is that men have not at all been conscious to their feminine energy. And that's been going on for a long time. And the good news is things are shifting now, the end of patriarchy, the age of Aquarius, all those things are happening. And we are waking up um, to the consequences of us as a, as a world being disconnected from the feminine. So um, I think it's happening slowly. Men are, are hearing about it um, a little bit more now about how imbalanced they are and in turn how imbalanced everything is. And we can see it obviously playing out on the national stage, right. um, all the shadow coming out. So, um, and as a result of all that, men have been locked in their shame for as longer than I've been around. And so we are not encouraged. We have not been socialized to share those things that really hurt. And we haven't been trained to know how to respond to them. So that's why buddies oftentimes don't even tell each other the really important things. And a guy doesn't know his friend's getting divorced until he's out of the house. So it's, it's, it's been a big problem. Now men at least know that they really should have closer relationships with other men in their lives. The women have known for a long time. But because there's been so much resentment built up over the years around patriarchy, 
um, men have really not been honored and supported to do what they've needed to do because there's been a fear, I think, that if men have that power, they're going to use it against women as they have for ages. So um, we're shifting now to say that a powerful man honors women, right? It's not about using the power against women. It's about honoring them and lifting them up. And uh, in turn, being able to get everything back from the women, the goddesses in our lives, that they're able to shower upon us if we only know how to take care of them. I love it. That's great. That's a great start. Um, I really want to get deep into the concept of shame in a bit. But before we do that, you know, I guess on the note of my experience with men, you know, when I professionally or personally, the people, the men that I look to as incredible men, where I get to know them and I go, you know what, that's a man, you know, and I, I'm like, what's that quality, right? And and I really have boiled it down. And the quality that I feel most feminine around, most polarized by in that wonderful dance or is when I feel a man has true inner confidence. So, you know, not the surface kind where you're the smart, witty guy or the successful business owner, right? It's this solid, unwavering, collected, calm, inner confidence of a man, like really knowing and loving who he is in this world. And, you know, from my perspective, and I think everyone's, when you run into a man like that, I think it blows both men and women away. So, you know, I guess I would ask you, how can a man or the people around him identify what you call in your book, you know, a frightened little boy inside a man's body. And then once you identify that, how do you, how do you coach men or how do you get to the point where you can cultivate self-love and inner, you know, unconditional confidence in order to be a man inside a man's body? Okay. These are good questions, Al. Um, there's a little boy, there's a wounded little boy in every man. I have never met a man, um, where it did not apply. So, um, one of the tools I talk about in my book is to silence the little boy. And he's the one who wants what he wants when he wants it. He stomps his feet through life. Uh, he blames his mate for everything. He mopes, he's moody. He doesn't know how to have the difficult conversations. He's passive aggressive. All those things that women know. I, I, I doubt there's a woman listening to this right now who's thinking, yeah, that's my guy. So um, we have that in us. And, and I think in large part because in our culture, there is no initiation into manhood. You know, uh, boys just get older and they just are older boys and they do their best learning how to behave in society by looking at their friends and looking at media, which is terrible here. So we have a lot of lost souls. And because our boys have not been initiated, meaning uh, nurtured, trained, mentored by the men in their village, in their town, uh, and taught this is what it means to be a man in our community. This is what it means to treat a woman with respect. This is what's expected of you. This is proper behavior. All those things that other cultures have taught their boys. Because we don't have that, um, we have a lot of little boys running around. And the way we address it for the few men who have the courage to dig deep and make changes is we just hit it head on. Um, the, the way to be the man you want to be, the way to silence little boys, to just act like the man you want to be. And in order to, to do that effectively, you need to be in the company of other good men who can show you examples. And so you may not have gotten what you've needed, what you needed from your dad, whether he was there or not there, alcoholic, whether he died, divorced. You can still get that wisdom, that support, that love 
from other good men. I love the idea. I mean, I work for a wonderful man who's a mentor to other men, and it's really a wonderful thing to see um, as a woman. So it's just the work you're doing is so necessary. You mentioned shame, and I want to I want to dive deep into that. It's interesting to me. <clears throat> it's interesting how insecurity kind of pole vaults right into control issues, and and these are really interesting dynamics for me because. In one sense, the person who's insecure, who's feeling a lack of control, leads to exhibiting controlling behavior or thoughts, but then that ultimately leads to the opposite of control, which is chaos, right? Sometimes broken families, lost businesses, friendships, or whatever. So it's this drier cycle, kind of like wounding oneself over and over. And, you know, I didn't see it, but in, and I just want to share a story here because the details, I think, are important of how men in this situation are thinking. In my early 20s, I'm 44, I... Uh, had a male friend who was like, you know, really hot and, you know, had all these dramatic relationships with these girls. And I kind of, per our culture, was like, oh, well, all this drama is happening because he's hot and he's got a bunch of crazy bees, you know, that can't quit him. Like, it was just one of those sort of stereotypes. But he called me many years later and was the last person that I would have thought would have to go into Sex Love Addicts Anonymous. And he shared with me that, you know, the roller coaster of that drama was created by him from not feeling worthy. And so it was just interesting because I really didn't, a lot of people can't wrap them their heads around. We look at sex, love, addiction, or anything like around relationships. Most of the public kind of understands the classic, oh, a guy has a problem with prostitutes or a guy, but they don't understand this other dynamic, right? That just the the drama, the, the push, pull, breakup, makeup, or, you know, this rinse, repeat, and and going in and out. And, you know, I just, again, chalked it up in my early 20s. But apparently it was a serious problem for him, and it continued until he went and got help. And to hear him say that he never thought he was worthy, and that's why he was pulling, you know, pointing out insecurities and girlfriends, trying to, you know, break him down. Or he, he'd say that he'd first succeed, and it would feel like a triumph to get the girl to love him or get the girl to sleep with him. But then it would just crumble back into this guilt and shame and self-loathing until finally, you know, he said, I, I knew I was doing it. Like I was conscious of these little things I was doing, but I just couldn't stop. And I guess I just never see that side of it because I don't think that way in, in general. I, but it's weird because when it happens around you, sometimes it's subtle and you don't see it. And it's, it just all is wrapped up in shame and insecurity. So I'd, I'd love you to get into that with us because that's sort of a non-obvious to most people situation. Women, no matter how bright, aware, conscious, intelligent, loving, um, you do not hold um, in your consciousness the way men are oftentimes. There are, th- there are ways that men think that I, have, I had explained to my ex-wife many times she kept forgetting it. She couldn't fathom it. Um, we're so different, right? Men and women are so different. We think differently. In this culture, we are socialized to behave differently. We have different pressures on us, and it creates behaviors. So it's really interesting how, um, as, as, as uh, well as we can communicate with each other, 
there's such deep, deep differences which sort of, you know, play into the problems that men and women have generally in relationships and why long-term committed relationships are having a hard time these days. Now, shame. Um, Let me hit this. Men uh, have father wounds. A lot of pain around their relationship with their father. Most of these men are unaware of it. But what they do is they go to the feminine to feel better, to heal it. And, I, you know, this sex addiction, love addiction thing has become very popular these days. I'm, I really, I don't subscribe to it completely because I think it misses the point a bit. Um, if men knew that what they needed was to be with other men, they would begin to heal. But what happens is, whether it's through prostitutes, serial monogamy, porn, flirting with people, whatever your flavor, it doesn't make you feel any better. The next morning, you feel just as crappy as you did before because you're going in the wrong direction. So it's, it's well known now, and a lot's been written, that men go to the feminine to heal really what will only be healed by the masculine. That makes a lot of sense. And it seems too, well, you know, my heart goes out because it seems though, as there, the, the, the striving is for intimacy with another woman, human being partner, but it gets muddled with what we're talking about. Oh yeah. Well, we want the same things really. We communicate differently. We think differently. We behave differently, but men and women, we want the same things. You know, we want, intimacy we want great sex we want to be great friends we want to be seen and heard i mean um you know i've I've done a lot of couples counseling over the years it's all the same everyone's saying the same things but because of the wounds that we both have when we come into relationships rather than being supportive of one another we end up just defending ourselves from each other and then we recreate the power struggles that happened in our homes when we were growing up and we all know that, you know, the women are attracted to their fathers and the men like their fathers and the men attracted to women like their mothers. And until they get conscious of it and start working it out, they just recreate all the problems that they saw when they were kids. Because it's familiar. And, you know, I've been there, too. And I think everyone listening probably can reflect on a moment where there was a pattern of something they were attracting based on um, what they were familiar with in their environment growing up. And right. It's classic. We don't see it. Like, so I was married for 32 years and three years ago I left and the divorce is final and I'm with, uh, uh, another partner and she's my goddess. She sees me. I did not realize how much pain I was in all those years of my marriage. Um, my mother was cold and withholding and angry because my father died early and all the things that she went through. And there were no tools. I grew up, you know, I fended for myself. I didn't learn a thing. I got into a relationship for the, you know, really a marriage with one of the first women who just agreed to go out with me. And she took care of me. And I felt, wow, this is great. Um, and someone described to me, they said, your mother gave you 2% of the divine feminine. Maybe your wife offered you 40% of the divine feminine, but it felt like 100. But eventually, down the road, you weren't getting what you really needed, what your soul really needed. And it was true. 
And I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't have the courage, really, to speak the truth. And honestly, I stayed in the marriage at least 15 years longer than I should have. Because the day I left, I realized I had felt the same way for the last 15 or 20 years. I kept trying in my own way to move the needle. But the truth was, we weren't compatible. And in this culture, the problem is that... um, You know, we can say goodbye to relationships all the time. Work relationships come and go. All kinds of relationships. We don't expect any of these relationships to last forever. But we've been sold a bill of goods about marriage. And we believe that marriage is forever. And it keeps many of us, men and women, locked in relationships that are unhealthy for us. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting, too, on the note of shame, I was speaking with Lisa Nichols recently about this and the concept of it doesn't matter what the shame is, because I want the audience to understand that most people would think, oh, shame, something that the universe would go, oh, I see why you'd be embarrassed about that. But sometimes it's stuff that no one can get. For example, I used to be ashamed to admit that I had a physical disability. I have tendonitis in my arms. I live a pain-free life. I've learned to live with flare-ups. I don't sleep on my sides. I don't want anyone to cry for me. I'm not a victim there. But it was it was really hard at 22 to sort of get permanently disabled for life in a way that was really tough. Thankfully, I can use my voice now, so it's a success story. But for many years, I, I, I mean, one of my first thoughts was, oh my God, no, no man is ever going to want me. I'm disabled. I don't know if I could even, you know, cook, clean, do whatever I would do for children. And it started there. Then I would just, if I, you know, there'd be relationships where if I was really in love with someone, I'd be so afraid they would reject me or not want to be with me because, right, I was physically damaged in some way. And it was, it was really tough because it prevented me from having true intimacy yet wanting it. And sometimes there'd be moments where I would, you know, hope and wait for the person to say, I love you, so that then I would feel, right? And so it doesn't even matter what it is that you're hiding, whether most people would understand, or for, for in my case, nobody understood. Friends and family were like, why are you ashamed of the fact that you got injured? This is not your fault, da, 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 da. But it didn't matter because it was real for me. You know what I'm saying? And so my thing is, and what I've learned is that no matter what you're hiding, if you're hiding something that you're ashamed about because you think that person is going to reject you, it, it will create problems unless that is opened up. And of course, timing is important. I'm not saying everyone has to jump out and admit everything about their life or, or you know, everything at all. But on that concept, just of it, you know, hiding something that you're ashamed of, whether or not, you know what I mean? I just would like you to go from there. Um, guilt is when you've done something wrong. Shame is when you believe there's something wrong with you. And uh, most men carry shame. Uh, I work mostly with men, right? So I have to speak from that perspective. A lot of this applies to women, obviously. Um, But we think there's something wrong with us uh, for many reasons. Because we weren't validated when we were younger. You know, we weren't, you know, sort of knighted by our fathers and told we're, we're good, we're a good young man, I'm proud of you. We didn't hear that. Um, and we go through life looking for that validation uh, and never finding it because mostly the guys are looking for it from women. So it could never fulfill that father's validation. And, um, and we live in this media-drenched, ridiculous, horrible, toxic culture where how can we possibly measure up? I mean, women have been dealing with this for ages. 
you know, women cannot measure up and they do ridiculous things to their bodies to try to, you know, measure up. And the magazines have just, you know, really poisoned us in marketing and advertising. So with all that going on, almost everybody on some level feels that there's something wrong with them. And that's a terrible place to start. And so now you've got two people in a relationship hiding that thing that they know, they know is wrong with them. They don't really want to talk about, but they defend against it. And now they start getting into, into arguments and conflict because they really can't be honest. They, they, they can't have that really difficult conversation. And so let me, let me just say this, that when I met my girl now, I'm 57, so I say girl, and she, <laughs> I like that. you know, but she is my girl. She likes that part. But I, anyway, um, we agreed at the beginning that we're going to have this um, relationship where we share it all. We're going to talk about everything. And, you know, it led to some points that we're traveling. I don't, I don't live in the States anymore. We've been just traveling the world, sort of looking to where we want to be. And um, it's a lot of pressure doing all that. And on top of that, we're talking about everything. I mean, about what we want our relationship to be and what kind of experiences do we want? And are we going to be the last ones to sleep with each other? Or is there room to do more? And how do you do that? And what's the truth? And how much baggage are we carrying around all those concepts of sexuality and intimacy? And where were we hurt? And how do we heal from all that? So we're we're doing it. Um, How transparent and amazing and lovely is that? Well, it's really wonderful and super uncomfortable. And we get really tired of it sometimes because... (laughs) That's honest. Like, when is this going to end? Like, for instance, I came back to the States for a month to do a men's retreat that I'm leading. And um, she stayed in Barcelona and she's doing something at a consciousness community. And we talked about like what I'm afraid is going to happen when we're apart for a month. And it brought up everything. And I shared with her um, fantasies that I had that were really still in my head about women that I was attracted to when I was unhappy in my marriage. And they had become part of this vast secret fantasy life I had. I never acted on it. But, um, but they were still there. And I thought, I need to get rid of these. How do I do that? And so we talked all about it. And she said, do what you have to do. And we just agreed that whatever happens, we just tell each other about it and we'll deal with it. So I came back to the States and I looked them up and I had a coffee and a lunch with each of them. And I didn't know what was going to happen. Are we going to go to bed? Do I need to like consummate this thing to realize something, nothing? As it turns out, with conversation and just being with them, energetically, there was this healing when I told the truth about how I had felt then. And they were able to tell me that actually they were thinking the same thing, but they had no idea I was so unhappy. Like all this conversation happened. And as soon as the truth was told, I felt all that energy just just wash away. It was so wonderful. I thought, okay, I get to go back to my woman lighter, clearer. And I began to realize how much these fantasies have been in the way for us. 
how much they had been working on me and I hadn't really noticed it. And what's so crazy is that, I mean, I've been working on this stuff for 25 years. I mean, I've done everything. I mean, healings and workshops. And I mean, I've been in groups, you know, and leading groups. Come on. Is there, you mean there are still more rocks to turn over? It seems like it's never ending. And so, um, and it, but I love that you're being open about falling on your sword to say that you're still learning and you're, right. you're growing and you're finding new things too. Oh, it's, it's a lifelong commitment. And, you know, I come into this world, I don't know how many lifetimes I lived before. I know that all the pain that I experience is not all mine. I know a lot of it I inherited, but it, it doesn't make it go away overnight. You have to keep working it. And, and that's not something that everyone's willing to do. And it's very easy in our culture now to medicate in so many different ways and, and not pay attention. So we're, we're up against that too, I think. Which just keeps us further from intimacy. Like you said, this fantasy bank over here or something outside of uh, ourselves or our relationships. I'd love you to shed light on us understanding more about identifying behaviors such as, you know, projecting, hiding, and gaslighting. Now we know, of course, that uh, there's obvious ones, right? If someone's like, hey, where the hell were you? Okay, you know, that might be a, uh, why are you suspicious? Okay, those are kind of some obvious ones, but sometimes it's subtle and it, it's, it, you know, it's happened to me and it's, it's one of those things where you don't see it until hindsight and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I was totally gaslighted and protected, you know, and it's, it's, it can be so subtle because it can be, you know, d- d- delivered in a different way that's not obvious. So when people think about control freaks and they think about like the, where were you or this, you know, kind of forceful, uh, emotion, sometimes it can come in a very sweet package. And so I'm wondering if you can help us as women and, and for also helping our friends, because I wish I would have been able to identify some of this stuff back then when I was younger to my friend to say, hey, I think maybe there's something here you need to look at. Well, I think naturally women are, are uh, very intuitive, but we're, we're taught, you're taught to doubt your intuition. Um, Amber, she's my partner. She says, if you feel it, it's real. Um, that's, I'd like to interject because... The times that it did happen to me, the only thing I did know in those moments it was happening is that it didn't feel right. right. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't define. It didn't make sense, so I didn't know. But it, when I looked back, I thought, ooh, my gut knew. My gut knew that something wasn't right about that conversation. Um, so I'm glad you said that. I'd love to get into women's intuition because, men, you're playing with fire. You got a woman that's tuned in and tapped onto this. And, you know, like you said earlier, we're in this age of the truth always comes out, doesn't it? Yeah, one way or another. Let me just say about uh, men and women. I have dealt with a lot of men. I work with 50 men a week in groups. And uh, some of them have not been faithful in their relationships. And they have lived for years thinking that, that she didn't know. And I tell them, and everybody knows now, it's like, dude, she knows. She knows. She's not saying anything. She doesn't want to face it. She doesn't want to deal with you know, what it means to tell the truth. But the minute you did it, she knew. Okay, that's really, I'm so glad you see that side of it. Because when we as women talk in the aftermath of such things, we always say, ah, these guys are so dumb. Why do they keep discounting women's intuition? <laughs> like that's our conversation. We're like, well, we really right. wish they would get that because it always comes out. And 
it's just an, it's a very interesting thing. But men don't have that. So men don't know that. It's just like <laughs> when a woman, when a good looking woman, she doesn't have to be that good looking actually. But when a woman walks into a boardroom with a bunch of men, those men are thinking one thing. Mm-hmm. And women don't want to believe it. They don't want to believe it. Well, I kind of want to believe it because it's flattering. Because we- <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I hear you. Well, yeah. Well, you know, it's flattering. But if, you know, there's the objectification and there's all that stuff going on. It, it's real. I have, I know so many men. It's real. They're thinking about how they want to do it, where they want to do it. They're thinking all kinds of stuff. Doesn't make a difference how competent she is. It doesn't matter. The first thing the men are thinking, most of them, if they're honest with themselves, is, is something sexual. And the reason that's happening is because most men are really unhappy sexually. They're not satisfied. Yeah. And, you know, we just had Dr. Ken Berry on the podcast. You know, we speak with a lot of doctors about men's issues, low testosterone and health and stress and anxiety. We don't talk as much. And that's why I have you on on the other side of what happens with these. And Dr. Ken Berry was saying that, you know, the, the stress and anxiety and all the pressure, of course, on men too, you know, brewing that is the leading cause of psychological erectile dysfunction in healthy men. And, you know, so the dangers of stress and elevated cortisol, insomnia, we talk about that all the time, but we rarely get into the physical and mental health and relationship ramifications of these type of topics. On that subject, I mean, you know, Wayne, is there a way back, a way out, like a way forward for for those issues? What are some ways uh, a man can heal from psychological sexual dysfunction? Yes. Well, first of all, I don't think it's with uh, hormones. I don't think it's with testosterone. I don't think it's with medication. I think that we're so misguided in this country. The Western medicine is so off, is so... Um, not doing it well. It's the third leading cause of death in our country is Western medicine. So that well, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're so we're in agreement. Uh, yeah, I know totally. guys who've taken testosterone. I've seen what it does to their anger levels. I've seen what it does to their personality. Um, you know, uh, there's a great book called Sex at Dawn, and they cite all sorts of amazing research. And one thing was that they've done studies that when older men are in the presence of young, attractive women, just in their presence, their testosterone levels go up. So there's something biological going on for men. Men are attracted to women. Men are attracted to younger women. Men are attracted to that young energy. And if their partners don't do what they need to do to stay young, really, energetically, they will lose interest. And they stop getting what they need and they look for it elsewhere. And that's where the shame goes because there's, there's no way to deal with this. What do you do? What does a man do? And so what do they do? They hire a hooker because that's easy. Yeah, and it doesn't have any intimacy and it's... That's yeah. right. And it doesn't do any good. Um, and if, if you have money, and that's what happens. You know, a lot of my guys have a lot of money. So it's very easy to hide out in the money and not really hit your, your problems head on. Yeah. Money does, uh, as we've seen in this world, you can hide a lot. Yeah. So what do men do? They have to have courage to start telling the truth somewhere. I mean, that's how men come to me. You're like, let's start talking about the truth. How do you feel in your marriage? Okay. 
let's start talking about it. Now, once we get through the blaming of her, let's get to the real issue. What's really going on? When did it start? What are your issues? Let's talk about your relationship with your dad and your mom. Let's talk about what's going on because it's, this is not brain surgery. Like This is simple stuff. The problem is it's been going on for so long, we have no idea how to begin. But it's not complicated. We just make it complicated. So the work that I do with the men is about getting it down to a very simple level. You know, if you want to have a great relationship with your woman, then you need to treat her like a goddess. And how do you do that? Well, you know, we talk about that. And what's in the way? Well, all your crap is in the way. So let's start eliminating what is in your way from giving her everything. Like, let's work through your resentments. And I have to tell you another thing. We were in Thailand, Amber and I, and she was having a very intimate healing session with a woman we had met. Um, she was doing yoni, uh, yoni healing. And I was participating in sort of the body massage of it. And I was really like learning more about how to touch her, like watching a woman touch her was teaching me what I didn't know. And then when, when it came down to the yoni massage, I just was on the bed watching. And, and I, all of a sudden, this wave came over me. I thought, why am I not wanting to go as slowly as she would like? Why am I not willing to give her everything? And I thought, oh, it's, it's because of my resentment towards my mom. Like, I thought I had dealt with it all. But I, could, I felt in that moment, I'm like, holy cow. Was it a like, no, I'm not going let, like, to let her have that way? Was there some sort of authority issue with the, your mom that you felt spawned that? Or? I think it was more like, I'm not getting all that I want, so I'm not going to give it to you. Aha, right. So I get that. And, and I get a lot from her, but there were still some things I wasn't getting. But a lot of those things are tied to the thing I told you earlier about the old fantasies. Like I'm beginning to see how, oh my God, Wayne, you know, this feminine wound, getting in touch with your feminine, which I was sort of sent on this journey a few years back to do, this is much more complicated than I thought. I mean, it's complicated. It's much more than I thought. Right. multi-layered, you know? And so I'm, wow, it was big. And that, that led to all sorts of things. You know, when you do a healing with a shaman or a healer, the, the moment itself is one thing, but the aftermath, like 24 hours, 48 hours later, I mean, then it really comes up, like all of the darkness comes up and you have to be prepared to deal with it. And fortunately we are, and we have, and we've gotten through the fire together many times to know that this is sort of what happens. But it was big. It was a big deal. I thought, okay, well, if my resentments are still keeping me from being the man I really can be with her, that's probably the case with most men. Because what I have found is, although I have some skills and talents, who I am, what I am, where I'm coming from, how I think, my pain, my depression, my anxiety, it's all the same. We're all cut from the same cloth. You know, we just have different ways of showing it. Um, and it's one of the great things, the universality of, of these men's groups is that when they're w operated well and the men are fully committed, 
even though they've had very different upbringings and experiences, they find that they have most things in common with each other. And that's how we help each other. We realize, wow, you guys have the same problems as me. What, what did you do? And what are you doing to solve it? I, uh, I love that. And, you know, I know we're talking about issues and some of the, 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 you know, seemingly non-good vibe aspects, but I also just want to get in now to, you know, men connecting with the unknown, having a sense of spirituality and how important that is. And I want to just share, you know, and I know you know this and everyone out there hopefully can see this. So every relationship, right, can just be a spring of gifts if you seek out the lessons, right, and you learn from it. There's always nuggets of wisdom in there. In fact, in my life, you know, uh, I've been dating for a long time, even even a pretender or a dark secret holder or a betrayer, any of those negative ones, some of those have truly opened up something with me, within me that advanced my, you know, spiritual existence that I cannot discount it for. You know, it's that fight between ego wanting to go, you betrayed me and lied, but then going, yeah, but it was a great gift wrapped in shit. Damn it. Universe. That was a tough one. But there's some really good stuff that happens. Sometimes some of the most incredible advancement can happen from something that one might reflect upon in the past and go, yeah, probably don't need to see that person again. <laughs> or, or one of those where you, you'll, you'll leave it and maybe not look fondly on it, but there still is some advancement in ourselves. So, you know, when people are like, well, I'm afraid to love, I'm afraid to get in. And while you said earlier, you don't want to work out a messy situation with a woman and try to heal that way, they can be so healing, right? I mean, let's talk about the positives of the negatives. Well, as I tell the men, I'm really not interested in hearing about her. Um, it's really you. That's what we're here to talk about. And I think the same thing goes for the women. It's easy to blame that bastard, that creep. Right. He betrayed, he betrayed me. Well, hold on a second. You were there too. So what attracted it for a reason. Of course yeah. you called it in, you manifested it and you, um, chose to see the parts you wanted to see because who he was, here's what I'll tell you. I bet you almost every man that a woman would talk that way about, if I were in that guy's presence, in five seconds I would know this guy was full of shit. Totally. Because, because we're tuned into it, and I'm not looking for the best parts of him. I'm just seeing him for who he is. But a woman who's looking for a man, right, who really wants something, she's going to, this is like, just like men with women. We're going to look at the parts we'll, we want to see. Yeah. And we're going to discount the other parts. I was going to say, mm -hmm. it's funny how other people see it. You know, I've had scenarios where like, I really didn't see something, but then someone met someone I was dating and had the thought of, my first thought was, wow, he's too insecure for you. And where I would be like, what? I didn't even, you know, I, I kind of didn't even see that one sometimes. You know, it's a, it's interesting how others, uh, you're blindsided by, by other things. Yeah. Yeah. Men and women all the time. It's like, I was talking to a friend of mine. And he had ended a five or six year relationship with a woman and he went back home to see some friends and he went, they went, he went back and they all said, holy cow, dude, where have you been? And they said, what? <laughs> like you're, you're, you were not even the same man with her. Right. Like what, what were you doing with her? And he's like, what? <laughs> and I got, listen, I got some of that too after the divorce, after the separation. You know, all of a sudden people come out and they say, yeah, well, you know, we wondered about it. And it's like, well, where the hell were you then? And that's, that's part of the issue, you know. 
we don't have the the permission right and because women do we will actually say hey look i'm kind of concerned <laughs> about your guy i mean more more often than not i'm not talking for all women not everyone's open with their friends but like we talked about earlier men being able to have these conversations with each other yeah one time many many years ago i was at a bachelor party and uh, a friend was getting married to a woman and it was such a big mistake everybody knew it everybody knew it so we're we're at the bachelor party and we're toasting and roasting and doing all this stuff and we're going to go around and give the man a gift everybody you know of wisdom and one of our mutual friends who doesn't give a crap what anybody thinks he says you shouldn't marry her it's a big mistake yeah <laughs> he got married Okay, 28 days into the marriage, I was on a loading dock with him, his wife, her family, mediating the separation of... uh, (laughs) 28-day marriage. (laughs) Of the 28-day marriage, and it was over. Yeah. So um, I think that we need to tell the truth. We need to tell the truth to ourselves first. And um, we need to risk the relationship sometimes if we care about somebody to tell them. Let's, um, I want to get into some more uh, practical things for a minute. Um, what about the concept, even though you're not technically a 12-step recovery program, I've never been in 12-step recovery, but I was extremely inspired by a girl who called me 15 years after high school to apologize and make amends for uh, apparently I've forgotten, but she had asked my boyfriend to prom, which is like lame. Sure. I guess I called her and I said, yo, what are you doing? Asking my effing boyfriend to prom. Anyway, she said, I always felt bad about the impression I left. I was manipulative. I was an addict and I wanted to call. I was just so impressed and moved by that, by this out of the blue amends call that I started to think about, you know, some things I might not have felt good about. And I ended up thinking about a couple of kids from grade school. I went to a small all-girls school with 20 in a class. If you've got three that are the outcasts, they know it, you know? And we were kind of bullies. And it might not have always been outright, but it was there. And I always felt awful about it. And so I finally, I contacted a couple of them. I couldn't find one of them. And I wrote them detailed letters about how awful I had felt about this. And it was such a healing thing. One of them had wrote me back. She said, I was bawling, crying, reading your letter because for the first time someone had acknowledged out of that group, out of my childhood, what I experienced. And then we ended up getting on the phone and had a great like couple of hours catch up after, you know, 30 years or whatever it was. And I had this moment after the phone call where I was like, man, uh, you know, we, we never even gave her the shot. She's so awesome to think that she could have been a friend then. And, but anyway, just the healing idea of amends, that's something that's a part of, yeah, I mean, it's not always the case. If you're going to make amends and someone's going to pull out a gun and shoot you, yeah, don't do it. But how, how do you feel about that when you're talking with men in the group who have, you know, hurt, lied, betrayed, or things that sort of require it? Well, it's come up many times over the years, and we do deal with it on a case-by-case basis because if it involved the violation of a woman, um, it's tricky because are you ripping open a wound that she doesn't want to look at? 
And so um, we, we are very careful about that. You know, it's, is it up to us to go back and apologize for the thing we did to her, especially in this Me Too age, right? Right. Um, if she hasn't approached us, because I, I know of times when men have gone back to, to when they were teenagers to make amends with, with someone and they had f- almost forgotten it. They had tried to forget it and then it just ripped it open. So I think that's tricky. There are other times, you know, men with men making amends, uh, there's usually no reason not to. Um, and it's, you know, when you reach out like you did with your school friends, um, oftentimes it's such, it is such a gift. It's just like we say to the men, listen, when you need something, pick up the phone and call one of the guys because chances are he needs you to call him as well. Cause right. it goes both ways. It was so healing and I, it was a weight lifted. It was a weight lifted. I did carry probably a little shame about that for sure. To just call it out in a minute and then have a conversation. And, um, you know, and one, one of the girls said to me and I was like, good one. She said, yeah, you know, uh, you know, thank you. Blah, blah. She said, but my mother always told me that you must have had some pain going on if you, uh, you guys treated me like that. And I said, well, you know, she was right. Yeah. Um, a lot of the amends or like we would, we talk more about in terms of just owning things and taking responsibility is, is a, is a sort of a solitary exercise. Like for instance, some people are, are dead. Sure. Um, so you have to, you have to get a Ouija board, do an amends. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, through ritual and exercise and whatever it is, let things go. And we have a, we have a retreat coming up this weekend and the theme is all about letting go. And we're going to be doing lots of different things to sort of hit it from different angles to let go of what's not serving us. Um, and it's not about necessarily sharing it with anybody else. It's just about letting it go, not doing it again and making sure that you're just a better guy moving forward. On a sort of practical side, so if you're if you're doing the work to become a man of integrity or, you know, I'm sure they all everyone is. And you know, and you aren't there yet, you're in coaching, you know, you're doing the work. What about the friends you keep, right? So almost akin to going back to a you know, AA 12 step to, you know, 12 step where you're recovering, right? Maybe you don't go out with your guys at the bars who your old drinking buddies or so if you're a man who's secretly going not a hookers. Do you still go hang out with your buddies in Vegas? You know what I'm saying? So like, do you suggest distancing, distancing, you know, distancing, sorry, yourself from situations and people that might fuel a path backwards? Well, if they're not helpful and supportive and they're low vibrational and you want to be high vibrational, it doesn't make any sense to hang out with them. Yeah. That's just kind of across the board. Low vibrationals out of here. Yeah. yeah and, um, you know, that whole, that whole notion, most men, like the men I coach, they don't know anything for, about vibration and energy and spirituality for the most part. That's what I've been teaching them over the years as I've been learning. But most men have no idea about that. But once you tune into it, you can get very sensitive. And, and I realized that like when I was talking about these women I needed to meet and talk to, I knew it was all low vibrational. Mm-hmm. There, was nothing, there was nothing high about it. But it was distracting me. So I figured, okay, so I have some blockage in my second chakra. I know it. I feel it. I even felt like my groin, like, tendon tightened, like I was hard to walk. I mean, I knew something was going on. And when you know that, then you can address it. 
Um, so how do you get there? It's like, by the time, by the time men reach out to someone like me, they have made such a mess of things, you know? So it's tough. They're so buried. They don't, they can't see their way out. All I can say is that there's always a way out, always a way out. And sometimes it's easier than people think. You just have to be willing to have the tough conversations with yourself, with your partner, you know, with people in your life. You have to be willing to have that tough conversation because what happens is, and we had this discussion the other night in one of the groups, is that uh, one of the men wanted to do something, some plant medicine, and his wife just didn't want to do it. Uh, But he really wanted to because, you know, he's been hearing a lot about it and um, I'm involved in that and my life has changed as a result of it. And we've talked about it. Well, what we talked about was, look, you need to have this tough conversation in a way where you don't have your legs, your tail between your legs, because it will lead to another conversation. What I'm, what I'm getting at is that when we're together with someone for a long time, we think, oh, I know how this is going to go. I know how this conversation is going to go. So I'm not going to have it or I'm going to edit But the truth is that when you have the conversation from a place of real integrity and real strength and conviction about what's important for you, what's, what's important for you to do or to feel or to express, and you're coming from a loving place, that conversation that you have will be different. Than anyone you've ever had before. It's coming now, from a different vibration too, right? It's, if it's from right. integrity in a different place, then it's going to have a different outcome. It may not look so good in the short term. <laughs> right. Because she may get really pissed and run out of the room. But if you just hold it, she's going to come back and it's going to lead to a new conversation. And sure enough, he came back the next week and said, oh my God, we had five, at least five layers of these conversations we've never had before. Now we're starting to talk about everything. That's awesome. Yeah. What about, um, so just practically, so with coaching groups, you know, a lot of personal issues. What about anonymity, privacy, not just for people in the group, but loved ones, bosses, right? You're, you may be talking smack about your dentist and then it's everyone's dentist or, you know, so how do you manage that or what's the, um, you know, protocol there? Like, could I run into someone and go, Hey, this is Bob from my men's group. Or are you not allowed to do that? Um, all right. So Life is messy. <laughs> totally. So the, the notion that men's group or should not be messy is ridiculous. Like life is happening in this room. Uh, I think the problem with a lot of therapy groups is that there are these artificial rules that really don't help men. They just don't help men. In this room, I have two rules. Be on time and don't hit anyone. <laughs> Pretty basic. And the rest... The rest will work out. Trust the men. We will work it out. We'll get to it. You can say whatever you want to say, however you want to say it. You don't have to use I statements. You can be as pissed as you want to be. We'll take care of it. Otherwise, it makes it very difficult for men to truly uh, express ultimately what they're feeling. So there are too many rules in, in this world. When the men are here, no rules. And what they learn over time is that all the things that they were ashamed of and all, all the things like confidentiality is so important, so important, so important. After a while, they realize, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Now, there are a couple of things that cannot be repeated, right? And we're clear about it. What's said in the room stays in the room, but things happen. You know, guys don't honor it sometimes. 
it leaks. The wives know each other. Shit happens. And you got to deal with it. Guys feel betrayed. Things have to be cleaned up. We deal with it. But yes, this is a place where, hey, listen, this stays here because we're working it out here. We're trying to help men figure themselves out so that they can go home and have those conversations coming from a loving place with their women, right? That's, that's what we're doing here. So to undermine that would be so ridiculous. And unfortunately, a couple of times over the years, it, it's happened. But for the most part, men know, no, you keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Um, uh, wow, I'd love to spend another three hours talking to you. Um, but in <laughs> wrapping it up, and we'll put all of the uh, links to connect with you and your coaching groups and your websites in, your, uh, in the show notes, tell us how how this works. How do you coach people? You've, you've mentioned you've been traveling the world, which sounds awesome. So I want to hear about that. And then you get, I guess you're connecting currently via Skype. And so what's the size of these groups? Is it localized to one city? Um, how can, how can men get you to help them? Okay. So I, I do individual coaching and all I have to do is hit me up, you know, through bettermencoaching.com, Facebook, whatever. And um, we talk, whether I see you or I don't see you on the screen, it doesn't matter. The, the work works. Um, for the groups, the groups uh, are run out of Agora Hills, California. And so the men meet in the office I still have, and I'm on Skype when I travel. Um, and when I come back, I'm in the room. So that has worked out remarkably well. Um, there are about 10 men or so per group. And I also, have a f- I also have phone groups for men who are not in this area. That's great. And we do that through a, through a conference number. And I, and I also do a, a, a lot of couples work, which usually comes through the work I've done with the men. And that's also done on Skype. Uh, you look, as long as you're motivated and you want to change, it doesn't make a difference whether you're in the room or you're on Skype. I mean, that's why, you know, energy healers can work from anywhere because energy moves at the speed of light, right? And that's really what we're doing. You know, what we're doing is, is an energetic process. It's a spiritual journey. It doesn't matter where you're located. I love it. Is there anything else you'd like to leave uh, with the men and women in our audience today? Oh, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> that's everything's, right. Everything's going to be okay. Thank you so much for joining us, Wayne Levine. I look forward to speaking again soon. Thanks, Al. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're we're talking about health, and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. 
What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.